four, three, two, one. Hello, everybody, and welcome to America.com. My name is Rich Doc Hayden, and I am with... And here we are. It is the second week of July. We are with our friend and 2-7 brother, Matthew Maxwell. Maxwell, how are you? I'm doing great. Good, 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 good. We actually just took, took last week off because it was the 4th of July. Um, actually, I didn't tell you guys. My family was, uh, we were all stuck inside, sick with a cold, which was kind of a bummer, but actually it was kind of nice because we just we didn't do anything and just relaxed, and it was super nice. Did uh, Harpo, did you have a good 4th? We did. We celebrated big here at the house. Had a big fireworks show. Nice, nice. Like we normally do. Nice. It was, it was a chill back, relax, kind of weird because it was on, you know, not weird, but it was a Tuesday, so. Yeah. Definitely on a weekend holiday. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it was good. Nice, nice, very cool, very cool. And uh, everybody, nobody lost a finger? Nobody lost a finger. Good to go, good to go. Their ears are probably... Maxwell, how was your fourth? Oh, it was good. It was good. Went uh, went to my uncle's place, watched the fireworks on the lake, and ate a lot of food. It was pretty awesome. Cool, cool, very cool, very cool. We, I did take my daughter up to the roof of our building. Um, there's a little uh, kind of um, chill out area with some chairs and chaise lounges and stuff on the roof. And we did watch. So we get to watch. Got to watch some of the fireworks exploding over LA, which is kind of cool. And she really liked that. So we got to celebrate a little bit. But otherwise, we're sick. But that's cool. Next year, I'm sure we will tear into the fourth. So, all right. So here we are. Let's turn our attention to Ukraine. Um, had a couple of developments, but still a, a, a very static situation. Um, the U.S. is going to. Um, or is probably at the moment in um, uh, in the process of supplying Ukraine with uh, cluster munitions, uh, and the Ukrainian offensive continues. So, Harp, let me open it up to you. What have you seen the last couple of weeks, and what do you think is going on? Tell us. Uh, there's a lot going on, uh, even inside internally with Russia. I don't think we've talked to... Uh... Maxwell since the whole Wagner group. Oh, yes. Either, so. That's true. That's true. We, they got a lot going on. And, I mean, Ukraine is... Uh, That's true. I'm hoping, take, I'm hoping they're taking this time with them uh, being pissed off at one another on the inside to kind of regroup. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The Bogosian thing is crazy. We can get to that in a second. But but what, what have you seen? What, have, what, has, what has stuck out to you? Well, you know, I'm a big sports guy, too, so you, you see the Ukraine tennis player, right, mm. the female? She just upset, you know, they're doing the Wimbledon, which is like... Oh, interesting. The big, you know, it's the big one. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. She just upset the uh, number one seed mm -hmm. uh, woman, women's player. Oh, okay. So, and she's been in the news because she played against a Belarus tennis player and a Russian. She's beaten a Russian tennis and a Belarusian oh, wow. tennis player. And she wouldn't shake hands with neither one of them after the match. Mm, mm. That's so that's crazy. been big, and, you know, kind of big topic in the news for them. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. That's crazy. I have, actually, and, I, I, you know, yeah. Go ahead. As the as the war as the war goes on, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping that uh, 
they're, you know, keeping their foot put on the pedal, but kind of regrouping at the same time while Russia's trying to regroup themselves, mm-hmm. it sounds like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, true. Very true. Maxwell, let me open it up to you. What have you seen over the last couple of weeks? Yeah, man, I haven't talked to you guys since the whole Wagner group going up. Uh, and that's, you know, coup. Yeah, um, which was batshit crazy. Yeah. <laughs> which was batshit crazy. I mean, they were making serious gains, and then all of a sudden I was like, oh, no, we, we called it off. Like, it didn't make much sense. Uh, they had they had the initiative, I thought, and uh, it's just kind of weird. Like then this whole like uh, if you join the Russian military, we'll let you, you know, we'll call it even. Mm-hmm. And the uh, then the whole uh, Belarus thing, like the Wagner Group, Belarus set up camps for the set up a camp for the Wagner Group. Nobody showed up, right? Mm-hmm. Pergoza was in. Belarus briefly. Mm-hmm. Now he's back in Russia. Like, what the hell is going on? Uh, either way, mm-hmm. they've had so much internal strife. It seems like the the Ukrainians—they're not making the major gains that they made the last time around with the last counteroffensive. But I mean, they are on all fronts. I, I think again, it's one of those trying to find the gaps right Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so i mean they're they're making incremental gains uh along the entire what is it like 600 miles or something like that yeah Mm -hmm. 600 mile front they've taken some land back around bakhmut and you know hell i don't have we talked since they blew up that dam and flooded all that area. I, and, uh, we might have, I believe we talked since then, but not since Wagner. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, there's been a lot going on. But, I mean, nothing, nothing so crazy, but uh, I, I take that back. Fucking Wagner saying, like, yeah, we're going to freaking set the record straight and we're headed to Moscow. Mm-hmm. They they had it. I mean, they had like, you know, they had FSB guys standing down. They had the. Uh, I saw some footage of like FSB putting like buses out on the road to stop them, and the freaking Wagner group and you know T seventy two tanks just ripping right by them. Yeah, that's <laughs> okay. yeah. It's crazy. So I so. So what? much gains in one day. Yeah. They were almost there on the outskirts of freaking Moscow. Yeah. Yeah, I don't... Who knows if they would have been able to sustain that, but... Um, so now that we're a couple weeks out, so I, I don't know if you heard the episode that we recorded a couple weeks ago while you were, were gone, but Harp, um, if it's true that um, Prigozhin is in Russia, then I think we lost our bet. So Maxwell, we said um, we gave Prigozhin about a week to live, and who knows? He might actually be dead as we speak. It's very possible. Oh. But the reports... I, I, doubt it. I think that guy's got more power than we think. Hell, there's one of the Russian generals that was uh, cozy with Bogosian that was di- that disappeared for a while and yep. like, he, he surfaced. So 
Yeah. Well, what, the thing that I think is really interesting in all this, I think it really shows um, that uh, Putin is a lot weaker than we thought. Like, the fact that um, Prigozhin's still alive, the fact that this um, Russian general is still alive, the fact that I'm sure there are other people who are involved. My theory of what happened was Prigozhin had been planning this for a little while, and he started it. He put you know he put this plan in motion, and then either he um, he re- he his his internal Russian support uh, collapsed, and they, you know all got cold feet, or he didn't quite have the support that he realized at the outset, and realized that uh, you know eventually he would have at some point they would have gotten um, they would have gotten slaughtered, they would have gotten beat up, you know, and uh, didn't want to put himself in. Uh, that position of being a the eventual loser, so kind of very comically got out of it. Um, you know, who knows? Maybe uh, it's it's you know Russian politics and and what happens behind the scenes in Russia and the Kremlin is notoriously opaque. So I don't know if we'll ever know, but um, that's kind of looking at it from the outside. That's kind of what I think happened. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, I mean, I've heard like if it were to go down again, it. Putin's gone. Putin's out of power. Mm-hmm. Like, there were so many people. There's so many people that either just let it happen or joined. Mm-hmm. I mean, they got like Spetsnaz guys, like, yeah, we're with the Wagner group, right? There's so many people that were either on board with it or just stood by mm-hmm. that that spoke volumes, right? There's the, uh, you could have this facade that Putin's been very good at for years of, you know, he's the face of Russia and, and whatnot, and he has more power. I, like, Ukraine, the war in Ukraine has really showed, like, it's all bullshit. Right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And then when you have, I mean, the Wagner group went from being inside Ukraine to being on the outskirts of Moscow in a day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is crazy. Seizing the southern band, pushing through and having Russian, whole Russian units say we were with them. Yeah. To yep. include part of FSB, like border guards were like, oh, well, yeah, we'll let you through because we're about this. Yeah, which is... That, I mean, you know, we, I mean, that's what, you know, we said it from the get-go, it's going to have to be somebody on the inside that mm-hmm. takes them out. So, yeah. Yeah. It ain't going to be Ukraine to take him out. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And one of the things I said in, in the, the podcast when Harper and I talked about it is, you know, the thing that I, I think the biggest um, danger sign, the biggest uh, uh, flashing red light for Putin is that none of the Russian people resisted. You know, no, there were no, like, there were no... Um, uh, uh, you know, there was no um, Russian uh, like when when Prigozhin when you know Wagner Group came in um, to Rostov on Don. There were no like there were there were no you know um, uh, popular calls to stop this guy. Everybody you know they were there. They were having tea with him. I'm sure, I, th- I guess I read that there was like one or two very small scuffles, but like for the most part, you know the Russian people just lay down and and let this guy come in. And they're like they're like they're like we're not gonna fucking die for Putin. <laughs> you know, guys. 
people taking there was people taking selfies. Yeah, with the Wagner guys holding security positions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like really, like Wagner lost nobody. Yeah, and they took out a they took out a a decent amount of fucking Russian air power. Yeah, yeah. It was one of those things. It's so funny because that that actually happened the day I got married. Mm-hmm. We were talking about it in Brooklyn, and uh, and it's like, who do you root for? Because Prigozhin and Wagner are just as shitty yes. as Putin are, mm-hmm. but at mm-hmm. least they're fucking fighting each other during the fucking Ukrainian counteroffensive. Yeah, yeah. Wouldn't it be something if he if, if Putin used nukes on his own country? I'm gonna push the button. I don't think that they would do that, but that would be fucking crazy. Yeah, yeah. That could, that could be a win. That could be a win for the world if he did. He took out the uh, Wagner group. The Wagner group and his own command at the same time. Right. Wagner made it to the outskirts of Moscow. Putin was on a plane, tried to get in Kazakhstan, and Kazakhstan told him to go fuck himself. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Putin does not have the power that he portrays that he has, and that's a clear indication of it. Now, he's yeah. still a dirty son of a bitch, and hell, he's fucking poisoned people that are fucking, you know, like, he's he's not, he's not, uh, not dangerous, mm. right? He's a dangerous man, but faced with an equally fucking cold, heartless bastard like Pogoyzin, like... Mm-hmm. It's, uh, you know, I think, I think that Wagner's personnel, I mean, Wagner's a private military contracting company worldwide doing the dirty shit for the Russians, like, and they're a force to be reckoned with, Mm -hmm. right? If there is somebody to fucking, see, that's the unfortunate thing, like, internally, really, Pogoyzin's the only guy that could do it. Mm Mm-hmm. You have to be as much of a fucking bastard as Putin is to be able to defeat Putin. Yeah, I don't think much. anybody else has yeah. fucking balls. Yeah, yeah. You know, what, one of the things too I saw that is extremely alarming is that <clears throat> because Putin is so dig, so dug in, and such a, a fucking um, diabolical Machiavellian henchman. You're, Master, you're absolutely right. Like, the the person that replaces him is not going to be any better. Because, I mean, like, you know, enlightened humanitarians don't, um, you know, assassinate dictators. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it just doesn't happen, you know? So, um, you know, whoever does replace um, Putin is going to be uh, at least as bad, possibly. Maybe, you know, maybe they'll, they'll have a, enough of a, you know, I say this loosely popular mandate to end the war. Like maybe that's why they will eventually come to power. But I, you know, I really don't think, um, yeah, you're going to have a, a, a guy like George Washington is certainly not going to kill Putin. You know what I'm saying? So, um, so, so the, you know, that's pretty disheartening for the rest of the world. You know what I mean? So, uh, Harp, what's your take on that? Like who's the next person that that's, um, or, or can the next person that uh, 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 takes over from Putin, can they be any better for the West or, or the war? What do you think? I mean, I would think if, if somebody, there's no more 
George Washington. It's like you would say that. There's not going to be any more stronger, powerful person that's going to be able to take over for Putin. So it's going to be somebody with not as much power because our work, the world has outgrew the the the, the, the old war days. Mm-hmm. You know, you know. So whoever takes over for Putin is not going to have uh, as much power as what what is in there right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, that country is going to be in a spiral, either upwards or downwards. Whichever way it goes, it's going to spiral. Mm-hmm. Whoever takes over after Putin, because they, they're going to have a long uh, yeah. road for recovery. Yeah. So that, depending mm-hmm. on which way the, the, the spiral goes, would be, that would benefit the West. Yeah. That's actually that's that's or, that's spot on. Yeah. If uh, if another powerhouse gets in there and just keeps abating and keeping it afloat, mm-hmm. that's the spiral we don't want it to go. Yeah. Yep. 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 So yeah, not good. So, so Prigozhin's still alive. Not not necessarily saying we have we, we not necessarily saying we need to put somebody in charge over. Mm-hmm. I need to figure it out on their own. Yeah. Well, you know, one thing, I, I think that the one common misconception, I, I think that there are a handful of countries that we, we can't just roll in and replace a leader with. And I think Russia Russia's one of them. And I, you know, I, I don't think, you know, yeah, and I, I, I agree with you. I mean, like, even if we could, I don't think we should. It, it needs Man, to be. We, we, have our, we, we, have, we have way more problems than they probably got. Mm-hmm. Here at our own home. Oh well, actually, actually, Russia's Russia's no. are, like internally. I don't want to go too far into it now. Russia has big problems. Like Russia's really fucked up. Like um, they don't have the same problems we do, but they've got a lot of internal problems. I mean, like yeah, Russian society is just in in real. It was in real bad shape beforehand, and, and but I don't want to I mean, get. They've been start. They've been starving. Yeah. I don't know if it's well, been. They, I wouldn't necessarily say starving. They've been. They've. They've had enough to get by. Yeah. Yeah. It's been. They've, they've yeah. gotten by. Yeah. It's been crazy. So, but, but yeah. So, so there's all of that drama. Now, the other kind of recent development was that uh, the Biden administration uh, authorized um, sending cluster munitions to. Um, the Ukrainian army. So let me give you a, l- a little bit of backstory. The Ukrainian army has just been burning through um, artillery shells. I read before we uh, started recording, I read an article that said that the U.S. has already supplied them with over 2 million shells, which is a lot. And, um, uh, you know, recently, um, uh, uh, in the last two week, week or two, Biden administration has um, uh, authorized sending over cluster munitions. Now, if you don't know what a cluster munition is and why it's so controversial... Cluster munition, it's an artillery shell or, or another type of shell, a shell that can be fired from um, you know, an airplane or ship that instead of a, um, a, a, a traditional round that just explodes, uh, inside the shell is a number of smaller grenades or smaller explosives. So you shoot it out of an, um, you know, out of a, 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 an artillery, artillery piece or a, you know, a large gun, and it goes in before... Um, it hits the ground, it explodes um, in the air, I don't know, 20, 30 feet above its target and spreads 
all of these little grenades. So it's kind of like a big, um, uh, it's almost like it's almost like buckshot if you can imagine, exploding buckshot, and it just blankets and it's very very effective um, against infantry. The the reason it's so controversial though is that. Um, De- depending on what type of shell it is, and um, a certain percentage of the grenades fail to detonate. Um, I've read that uh, the Russian um, made uh, shells as many, as many as forty percent of the grenades don't detonate. And what happens is that these these little um, these grenades and these explosive fragments um, get into the ground, and when the war ends, they you know they get buried. The rains come, they get buried, and they 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 they. they they're still there, and they get littered all over the countryside. And then, you know, 10, 15 years or so after the war, and like little kids come and pick them up, and they get killed or they get hurt. So, um, so there are a number of countries throughout the world have banned their use. Uh, China, Russia, and Ukraine have not. It's very interesting to note that both Russia and Ukraine have used uh, cluster munitions against each other. Um, but, and, but that's the controversy, and there are a lot of people... Um, uh, actually, a bipartisan vote. Um, see, not, not bipartisan vote. There's been a bipartisan call by politicians, both uh, Democrats and Republicans, for Biden to not do this. Uh, actually, even President Trump came out and said that Biden shouldn't send these cluster weapons. So, Maxwell, let me open it up to you. What, what do you think, you, knowing what you do about cluster munitions and the conflict, what do you think about, um, about this? Yeah, I, I have to... I have to say that I think that cluster munitions is not a good idea. Mm. I mean, the it's uh, those things, and it's more than grenades as far as, like, it's such a highly sensitive fuse that the crazy thing is, like you said, there's a 40%, 40% dud rate, which is almost half of the munitions that come out of that do not go off when they're supposed to, but they're still high sensitive. So if you pick up and handle them, and most of the time, most of the people that get injured or killed by them are civilians mm-hmm. and mostly kids, right? Cause it's, here's this weird thing. You pick it up and it goes off. There's, you know, all over the world, the demining and the and the cleaning up these remnants of past wars and what they do to people. You know, it's just, I, it's not a good idea. Like, I don't know how much of an advantage the Ukrainians would gain by having cluster munitions, right? Because mm-hmm. that's the other thing, too. Like, from a standpoint of someone that's done fire support coordination in the Marine Corps, we had, they're called the DPICM rounds, right? Um, the the arty, artillery version's called FASCAM, mm-hmm. right? It's family of scatterable mines, and it's an arty round that drops these cluster munitions. The problem with that is, if you drop that in an area for as an area denial weapon to the enemy, right? Like most of the time they're employed like on a route or something like that. And that's to keep the enemy from coming down that route, right? You, you lay it with these cluster munitions, Mm -hmm. these mines, 
and then that you know makes it dangerous for the enemy to come through there and it kind of denies them that area to to move, maneuver in but it also denies you that mm-hmm. area because mm-hmm. it doesn't discriminate right mm-hmm. like uh so that's the problem with that right so like what advantage do you gain from there now one of the things that we've given ukrainians to deal with the minefield situation that the russians have been laying in on the eastern front for the last couple months is miklix right and you guys know this from us doing uh the mechanized assault course in 29 palms right they fire that miklix shot uh and that clears minefields it's basically explain explain what it is exactly yeah a miklix is is a wire with uh C4 or composition B on it. It's basically you shoot this wire out and it's got explosives on it, which are command detonated. So you could clear a minefield with it. It'll basically set off all the mines when it goes up, or you could cut through berms, which we've used before. You know, they used it in the, in both the, Gulf War and the second Iraq War to cut through giant berms that are supposed to stop tanks and it'll create a hole big enough for a freaking tank to drive through it. Um, you know, so it'll it'll remove barriers and it'll remove minefields. We've given that to the Ukrainians already, which hey, that's a, you know, you want to clear out a minefield, you cl- you want to clear a lane to be able to go through, like the Miklik's a great weapon for that, right? And it's it doesn't have the 40% dud rate. It's command detonate, so you, you lob this thing in the direction you want to clear out, and you, and you, you know, clack the thing off, and it goes, mm. right? Cluster munitions work a whole lot different. It creates a whole lot of risk, and it creates a whole lot of residual risk. And is that something that Ukra- Ukrainians want? Because, you know, eventually when they win this thing, there's there would be a huge undertaking to, to get rid of these munitions. They're going to end up – it will end up hurting civilians. It's I just feel that cluster munitions with the high sensitive fuses and the huge dud rate it's probably not the best, you know, probably not the best weapon to use. There's so many problems around the world to try to, like, get rid of this stuff mm-hmm. because it made so many people. Like, it's just one of those things, like, Geneva Convention should be like, let's not do this mm-hmm. shit, right? Mm-hmm. All right. Good to go. Harp, let me open that up to you. Yeah, I might have to agree with him. I don't think this is the right weapon of choice to send over there. Uh, what we're supplying is, is, is obviously working. They haven't been taken over yet. So uh, there's, there's other weapons out there that I think would, would benefit better than they're already going to have a, a long-term effect from this. Mm-hmm. We don't need to add to it. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Yep, so, you know, I'm going to have to agree with both of you guys and, um, you know, the first reason Maxwell as you so eloquently stated, like, you know, this stuff just, it hangs out and uh, it might, even if it were 
to um, give the Ukrainians some sort of short-term advantage. And it's not even clear that it will, but let's just say, let's, for argument's sake, let's say it does. Um, I don't think over the long term that it's going to be worth it because, again, you have all of this, all this, these, these scattered bondless around that, um, yeah, for the next 20, 30, 40 years are going to render, you know, a part, large parts of Ukraine potentially uninhabitable, which is pretty good. They're still, they're actually in you know, Belgium, parts of France, um, they're still every once in a while uncover pieces of World War I ordinance that are, um, uh, World War One and World War Two ordinance that are still, um, you know, sensitive and they have problems with. It. So that's so that's the first thing. Now the second thing that um, nobody's talked about is that I think that it gives a potentially a moral win to Putin and the Russians, which is absolutely what we don't want to do. And you know, this whole time uh, we've the whole time we've talked about this uh, a whole lot in this podcast is the, the big fear among um, the U.S. and the West is that Putin would resort to using nuclear weapons and escalate that. And he's, um, uh, uh, he's been roundly you know, warned by the United States, warned by NATO, and uh, even China has not supported, uh, uh, has even come out and said, you know, we don't uh, want anyone to use nuclear weapons here. And this, um, using cluster bombs potentially gives... Putin um, the 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 opportunity to to escalate and say well you know what they're using these because America is supplying Ukraine with these highly um, uh, these very dangerous and unethical weapons you know never mind the fact that we've been using them against the Ukrainians um, but because the United States has escalated we're going to escalate as well and we're going to use uh, tactical nuclear weapon so that I thought that that was. I haven't read anything about that, but that is certainly a calculation that um, uh, Putin can make and certainly a justification that he could use uh, for uh, using nuclear weapons. And I think that that would be um, extremely detrimental. So, so I, I, you know, I, 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 I think that, um, I, I, you know, I, it'll be interesting, um, you know, uh, uh, when the war is over and we read about um, what went on behind the scenes, I, my kind of my gut reaction when I first heard this was that um, oh we're actually kind of we're, we're we've been supplying Ukraine with so many um, shells that we're running out and we're kind of now have to give them um, some of this but uh, yes yeah, so I think this is this is uh, uh, I think I think the US and the Biden administration so far has been very very good um, the strategy has been very good and been very supportive of Ukraine. But yeah, this is one time where I think, um, I think this was a tactical mistake on uh, our part. But we'll we'll see what happens. I I to my knowledge, I don't know if any have actually been uh, shipped to Ukraine yet. Um, I kind of have a feeling, even if they some have, uh, because of this public pressure. Um, uh, you know the, the U.S. We will stop sending them or very or pause it. So, um, but yeah, yes, I agree with both of you guys because yeah, it, it was it's it's not a good idea. So, so we'll see how um, we're going to see how that one turns out. So, um, any anything else on uh, cluster munitions before we move on? No. All right. What's that? No, I'm I'm good. <laughs> All right, good to go. So, um, so 
I'm going to go ahead and, kind of like we do most times, I'm going to uh, open it up to predictions for the next couple of weeks. Um, Harpo, in the next few weeks, what are your predictions? You think we're going to see a whole lot of the same? You think we're going to see a breakthrough? Um, you're the, uh, you're the, uh, you have the crystal ball. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's going to be a stalemate for a while. Mm-hmm. I don't think, uh, they'll wait for winter. I'm sure winter will probably try to change things up. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. Good to go. Maxwell, how about you? Well, I'll tell you what, man. It's uh, it's been over 500 days now, and I know in the past we've said <clears throat> that the longer this goes, the more advantage it is to Ukraine. I think with the with what's been happening internally in Russia in the last couple of weeks, I, I am definitely doubling down on the longer that this goes with the support of the United States and NATO, mm. which now you have, I believe I read that Turkey was agreeing that Ukraine should be part of NATO. So, real quick, what I read earlier today, Turkey, um, two things. Uh, Turkey uh, had been blocking Sweden's bid to join NATO just lifted that, so Sweden is going to become a part of NATO here uh, yep. very soon. And then the, um, oh God, I think, I, I think it's Stoltenberg, the um, the, uh, 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 the NATO commander, the top NATO official, said today that uh, at the moment it is uh, premature to let Ukraine in, but they will be allowed in eventually. Because I guess um, Zelensky made a big deal about the fact that. Um, you know, uh, Ukraine was not invited to join uh, at this time, and um, uh, basically came out and trashed NATO. And which I, I even even though I um, agree that Ukraine should not be allowed to join NATO at this time, um, and I, I I understand Zelensky's frustration. I think he's he's justified in it. Um, I, I do hope that NATO holds up its promise that it basically as soon as the war is over, as soon as there's uh, a peace, and as soon as the Russians are left, then Ukraine should certainly be added to NATO. And I kind of think that that's going to become um, a, a huge part of the uh, negotiations um, to end the war. Whatever happens, they're going to be a big part of negotiations. And I think that, um, yeah, we should let them in. So, but yes, that, that's kind of, that's what happened. Well, it's interesting, yeah. I mean, and I understand that. Like, you have, NATO countries are assisting the Ukrainians with training their people, supplying them with munitions, with hardware, right? So they're getting the support. One of Putin's biggest sells on his aggression in the first place was the expansion of NATO or the threat of NATO to the to the Russian Federation. So inviting Ukraine to NATO at this time probably is not a good move because it fucking just reinforces Putin's narrative, but, you know, does it matter at this point? I don't know. It's one of those things where, like, whether you justify Putin's narrative or not, the the act of aggression came from the Russians. And it's interesting, at the 500-day mark of the Russian invasion into Ukraine, some people point back to 2014 
and say this is the 3,265th mm. of Russian aggression with the annexation of Crimea, right? Which kind of swept under the rug in 2014. Interesting. And that's that's a great, great point. That's a great point. And yeah, yeah, we, we certainly, you know, we see it as day five hundred, but they're um yeah, the Ukrainians certainly see it on the timeline you just described. So um yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you know, I think that um uh so Mike my hair, here's my crystal ball. I I think that uh throughout the summer, um Ukraine is gonna continue to make steady gains. Um, actually, I absolutely agree with you. The longer this goes on, the longer um, uh, that that Ukraine, the better it is for Ukraine. I think that the um, the Russia, Putin's still counting on the West getting tired and um, backing down, and I just don't think that's going to happen. I think he's potentially um, uh, uh, hoping for uh, Trump to get elected next November, and then withdrawing forces, that might happen, but even so, that's still, even if Trump were to win next November, he wouldn't um, assume the presidency until January of 2025, so that's, you know, uh, a year and a half from now, so, uh, and and Biden's not going to change course in the next year and a half, you know what I mean? Um, Right, it's one of those things where, like, the West is not going to get tired of it because, what are we really investing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the military-industrial complex is making fucking money hand over foot on mm-hmm. this whole fucking thing. We are fucking very largely removed from it, and the fucking Russians are getting their fucking dicks yeah. fucking stomped in the yeah, ground. Yeah. It's win-win for the rest for the West. It's very little. Uh, very little that we have to contribute to get the fucking return on investment. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, we'll keep supplying these. As long as Ukrainians are willing to fight, yeah, we'll fucking supply you with whatever the fuck you want. That's what yeah. we do. And, and the thing, and this, and I also think, I think that Europe, quite rightly, sees this as an existential threat. And, like, really sees, um, I, I mean, you know, the, the Baltic states and all the former, um, uh, 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 you know, Soviet states that are, you know, Poland, Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia, um, you know, all these countries are, uh, you know, are, are very clear-eyed about Russian aggression and are rightfully yep. um, terrified and uh, um, are, you know, are spooked and are very supportive. But even like, you know, Western European countries, Germany, uh, France is, France is still in our boat, even though Macron likes to waffle a little bit. France is still in our boat, but uh, it's, it's almost, almost unanimous, Hungary is the one country that is kind of the exception, is kind of trying to um, cozy up a bit to Putin, try to work both sides a little bit. Even even Hungary still, um, I think if Hungary had to choose between the EU and Russia, they, they'd still, um, they'd side with the EU, you know what I mean? So, uh, yes, I really, you know, I, I mean, barring some sort of other catastrophic um, event in the West, I really don't see us... Um, you know, uh, withdrawing our support uh, uh, for the Ukrainian effort. So, yeah, I, I mean, and then uh, with this internally, the longer this stretches on for Putin, the more vulnerable he's going to become. Putin, when, the thing with strongmen is like, when um, things are just kind of humming along and things aren't going bad, uh, uh, they can create this aura of 
strength and um, you know and wisdom and, and good governance. I, before the war started, I I thought Putin was one of the smartest world leaders right now. Uh, excuse me, one, one, before the war started. I, th- I thought that Putin was one of the world's smartest leaders. He'd been in uh, power for, um, you know, nearly 20 years at that point. He uh, kind of adeptly, you know, moved between China and Russia. And I think that invading Ukraine was a huge blunder and, um, you know, really showed that the emperor has no clothes and doesn't know what the fuck he's doing, you know. Uh, so, you know, I was certainly wrong about him. But, um, yeah, so I, I don't know. I, I can't really see how this works out for... Um, Russia the longer it goes on so so I guess yeah I think so my final my final thought crystal ball over the summer Ukraine is going to continue to make steady gains um it might at some point um have sort of lightning gains like it did last fall but I I don't think so and I actually wouldn't be surprised if that didn't happen but um you know by September October I believe they're going to be in a better position I do think that the war is going to go into its second winter, um, uh, barring some sort of leadership collapse in Russia, which is very possible. We could. <laughs> one thing I will say too: any po- we we record this podcast on Tuesday. Any given Tuesday, it, it could be as early as next week. We could there could be a shakeup in Russia, and Putin could be gone overnight, and this could all be over. It could I think it could end very 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 quickly, um, but I it, assuming Putin's able to hang on to power, I don't think it's going to end um, until next next year. But I hope I'm wrong. I hope it's over fast. So that's it. All right, yeah. you know what I mean. You fellas got anything else um, about Ukraine before one more topic to move on? I got one thing. I was going to save it till the final thought. Go for I'll it. Just pause the question. Mm. If, say, there's a coup again or a mutiny or whatever you want to call it, and Pergoizen does, hypothetical, mm. if Pergoizen did take power, would they continue the operation in Ukraine <sighs> under new leadership? Or would it be over? That is a fantastic question. I think that if there was... I think that he would actually be inclined to end it. And I think that he, unique among most people in Russia, has the power to end it because since... He called it out so blatantly. He said, you know, this is a war uh, uh, by the Russian elites, uh, you know, fought for the Russian elites, and it's a greedy war. And yet, yeah, I mean, he, he just trashed the whole war. He would be the kind of person to uniquely be in a position to say, you know what, enough's enough. We're ending it. We're, we're getting home. Plus, what, one thing I do think is that, you, all right, this is going to kind of contradict something I said earlier, but... Even though um, I do think that uh, the kind of person to um, the kind of person that can can um, take Putin out has to be something somebody who is very very ruthless. Um, they also have to have support of the elites in Russia, and none of the elites like this war anymore. They're really stuck. Like they're really stuck in that they they can't get rid of Putin. They can't get a good way out. So I do think that the next guy is going to come with the, the, you know, support of the elites to to end this war. You know what I'm saying? So, 
I, you know, I think it could go either way, but I, I, I think that if if Bogosian or whoever comes next, they have a brief window. But if they can end it, then uh, or if they're able to, I think they might be able to end it. So, so I didn't really give you a good answer to that question, but my my gut my gut says that he'll um, that he'll keep prosecuting it. But I would I might I'm ready to be wrong about that. You know what I'm saying? What do you think, dude? That's Harp, what do you think? That's it. All right. Maxwell, how about you? Man, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I really... I mean... Go ahead. I I think if you were... I think if you were to end it and just call it good, I I think in Russia, you're you're a hero. Mm -hmm. Right? Um... I think the Russian people at the end of the day know it's fucking bullshit. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. You know, I agree with you. And it's, it is one of those things. And since maybe as evidenced by the fact that um, there was no popular um, resistance to Prigozhin, maybe it's possible that, um, you know, there's this, this, the silent majority, so to speak, in Russia want this over. And if somebody comes and does end it, even if it's, with a little bit of loss of um, Russian, um, uh, you know, Russian, um, uh, uh, you know, even if Russians lose a little face over it, um, yeah, they might just be like, we're done with it. This is fucking stupid. Let's move on. You know, it's very possible. So, you know, when, you know, Afghanistan ended here in the U.S., there was nobody, there were, you know, no pro-war rallies that, that you know, people wanted to say, Iraq kind of ended a little differently, but like, you know, like there was very, very, very there. Nobody really that was like, no, we got to stay in longer. So I'm, it's probably the same thing in Russia. So, yeah. so all right. So excellent, excellent conversation about that. Now the other thing, um, I just want to pull up a quick uh, uh, there. So the commandant of the Marine Corps. Who now? For those who don't know, actually. You guys can better explain. Can, who can explain what the Commandant of the Marine Corps is? Me. Maxwell, you got a good explanation? Well, I was going to let Harp handle oh, this one. Harp, go ahead. Harp, give it to me. Well, he, he, he's the President of the Marine Corps. Oh, okay. He's, he's the top brass of the Marine Corps. That's what the Commandant is. Highest ranking officer. All right. Very cool. So... In, I'm reading in the Marine Corps Times right now, um, a article is a Monday morning ceremony marking the end of General David Berger's four years as commandant involved all the usual trappings, da 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 da. But as Berger passed the colors to Assistant Commandant General Eric Smith, the ceremony's narrator did not read orders for Smith to take command of the service. In the home of the commandants, the nearly 220-year-old White House at the end of the parade field will sit empty upon Berger's departure. For the first time since 1910, there is no Senate-confirmed commandant of the Marine Corps at the helm of the service. Um, the And that is... Uh, do, 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 do. Uh, so, so, the new commandant who has to be um, confirmed by Congress, or excuse me, by Congress, or by the Senate... Um, uh, has not been confirmed because Senator Tommy Tuberville of uh, Alabama is blocking the confirmation because of a uh, 
abortion travel policy um, in the Department of Defense. He's now blocked hundreds of general officer promotions. So I'm reading from the Marine, uh, the Marine Times article. Tuberville has single-handedly blocked hundreds of general officer promotions in protest of a Pentagon policy that gives troops leave and travel expenses to help them access out-of-state abortions. Neither the Pentagon nor Tuberville show signs of backing down. Let me open it up to you guys. Here, Harp, what do you think of this? I mean, that's politics. Mm-hmm. How they play. I mean, Tuberville, he's a Southern conservative, so, I mean, he don't want his, uh, his, his people don't want their tax dollars paying for something they don't believe in. I mean, I get it. Department of Defense, they just have to station those people if that's what they're going to do in the state that allows it. Mm-hmm. Don't make that. His, the people who elected him in, don't make them pay for something that they don't believe in. Hmm. Well, this is, they, you know, they call this the Bible Belt down here, man. This is, there's a lot of old school around here. So, I mean, I get it. It's politics. Hmm. It is what it is. Huh? Yeah, I mean, they, you don't even have to read between the fine. You don't even have to read the fine. But that's exactly what this is. This is politics. Hmm. At its finest. Interesting. Maxwell, what, what's your take on this? Well, I mean, from the standpoint of its politics, yep, I couldn't agree more. Is it the right? Is it right? No, it's fucking bullshit is what it is. It's the same thing, in my mind, as when we were in Iraq and Democrats were trying to defund the war while we were there, right, and I and I've said it before, I didn't, I don't agree with the Iraq War, but when you have troops on the ground in Iraq, you don't pull the fucking funding out because that puts people's lives at risk, right, for some fucking political stunt because you want to stick it to motherfucking George W. Bush at the time, right? Mm-hmm. This is the same thing. They want to stick it to fucking Biden. The general officer promotions, those general officers have nothing to do with fucking DOD policy, right? That's handled by the civilians that run the fucking DOD. So here's leadership positions. Now you've got the Commandant of the Marine Corps, a gap position. Why the fuck are we holding up appointments and and general officer promotions so you could score some fucking political points? Any fucking politician who uses the military as a pawn for their fucking political fucking shit isn't worth a fucking damn and should be instantly fucking removed from office. Because that, because it, you know, your fucking political bullshit has consequences, right? The one thing that should be off fucking limits is the fucking. DOD and the DOD fucking civilians. Like, if you have a problem with a fucking policy that's come down through the administration, take it up with the administration. Take it up with the fucking civilians that run the DOD. Don't fucking get military people that took an oath. Don't put them, make them the fucking pawn for your bullshit. Tuberville, you think you're a fucking patriot? You're a piece of shit in my mind. Fuck you. 
All right. Good to go. That, this, that might be the New Yorker in me speaking, but whatever. <laughs> I, As I sit in Lakeland, Florida, deep behind enemy lines. <laughs> I, I agree with just about all that. And I, I had to say one thing that I find very interesting about this is that um, traditionally, you know, Republicans have been uh, very much the um, party of the military and have have um, uh, basically held held the military up to be sacrosanct and to be, uh, uh, you know, beyond reproach and beyond touch. So it's very interesting that Tuberville is able to um, get a, get away with this without getting totally blown apart by the Republicans. I just think that's that just kind of shows how much the parties have sort of changed since. Um, uh, oh, yeah. At least 2016. Maybe it was happening before, but um, because but, yeah. the Republican Party is so fucking crazy now, like it's like it, how and it's you do it's and like I said, it's like the Democrats were when we were in Iraq. Like I, what the fuck was it? Like 2006 around there that they were like, we're gonna we want to defund the war. We don't you know, like we're. We're going to hijack it because, you know, and the fucking funny thing is in 2003, they unanimously voted to fucking go to war. Right. But then when the fucking then when it wasn't popular and they wanted to fucking they wanted to stick it to George Bush, who, listen, I'm no fan of fucking George W. Bush. Fuck that guy. Mm -hmm. But fuck Nancy Pelosi and fuck uh Harry Reid and all those other assholes that were trying to fucking yank the fucking funding out when we were fucking downrange. They can mm. fucking eat dicks too. You know, like yeah. that's the great thing about being a former libertarian, like the Republicans and the Democrats, they could all get <laughs> fucked. I fucking hate them all. All right. All right, good to go. <laughs> well, here we are at the end. Harp, you got anything else for us? I'm good. All right, Maxwell, anything else? Man, uh, let me just say, life's fucking good right. in the grand scheme of things. Good to go. Good to go. My final thing, I'm going to say just as a, um, uh, actually, you know, I have, I have a, uh, uh, something I'm, I'm pretty happy about. Here we are, 500 days into the war in Ukraine, and the war is still... Um, you know, pretty much at the top, you know, not at the tippy top of the news cycle, but always in, uh, close to the top of the news cycle. I, every once in a while, the whole when the whole Prigozhin thing went down, it made it to the top of the news cycle. And most Americans lose their attention. Uh, uh, the news cycle generally lasts one to two weeks, and most Americans have a very short attention span, yet um, the media... Uh, American people are still paying attention to the war in Ukraine and still have sustained power. And that's one thing that if you told me at the outset of this war that 500 days into it, Americans would still be tuning in, not not to the same level as they were at the beginning, it's true, um, but we're still tuning in, I would have said, no, 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 no. So I'm very happy that Americans still care about this war, uh, that they understand that it's uh, in our vital interest and in the world's interest that we win it, and um, still uh, support it. They don't maybe, again, don't support it in the exact same um, amounts that they did at the beginning, but I think that support has fallen off, but gradually, and it's still very, very strong, and I'm very, very heartened by that. That's a good thing, so. All right, everybody. Thank you all so much for listening. Maxwell, thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me, man.
Harp, thank you. Yeah, man. All right, everybody. We love you all, and we will see you next week.